Today on the podcast, we have Nikita Manjaris. I can't remember how I met Nikita, but it's been cool just to develop a friendship over time. We're actually in the same uh, crypto mastermind group here locally where we're at. I've invested in his fund and just really excited about what he's doing. He has two different funds, uh, but the one I invested in was a crypto mining fund. And I'm just really excited about it. He's very knowledgeable in the space, been very successful with a lot of different business ventures, done very well in his personal investing life. And I hope you guys enjoy this episode. Nikita, thanks for coming on, man. I'm very excited to be here with you, my friend. Appreciate it. I don't know a ton about, I know, obviously know about the funds and stuff, but I don't know a ton about your background. So let's, let's jump into that. Tell us about your background. Absolutely. My background is a little all over the place, actually. So born in Colorado, raised mostly in Utah. I've spent most of my life here now. Okay. Um, Went to most of high school here, finished high school up in Idaho Falls. So was able to become very quickly um, somebody who adjusted to change, right? Uh, Moving for your senior year of high school is not usually very fun, especially on sports teams, you know, dating, all that stuff. Yeah. So you're playing sports? I was. Which sports? I did basketball, track, football, uh, pretty much anything. Dang, you're playing all of them. <laughs> senior year. Senior year. Wow, yeah. that's intense. It was. It's actually how I met my wife, was okay. uh, doing track down in high school in okay. Riverton, Utah. So Nice. Freshman year, I saw her on the high jump pit, and that day I decided I was as well a high jumper and uh, <laughs> linked myself to her as much as I possibly could. Yeah. So yeah. you were high school sweethearts? No, she had a boyfriend. You, you t- oh, she did. What? <laughs> she did. Yeah, so she... And then you bounced to Idaho. I know. I took the approach of, you know what? I'm going to be your best friend. I'm going to be the guy that you wow. come to when things go wrong. Wow. <laughs> What's crazy about that is once you're in the friend zone, you're usually in the friend zone. Correct. So you successfully made it out of the friend zone. I did. Yes. Crazy. Now, I don't know if I can tell you how I did it. I think there was God's hand involved yeah. and a lot of luck. Um but yeah, I, yeah, I, I never played the friend zone card, so I respect yeah. that. <laughs> and I, and I always did. And it seemed to work out for me. Yes. Right, hey, so. you married her. That's pretty sweet. Yeah. So went up to BYU, uh, Idaho, right? Is that what you BYU, said? Idaho. Yep. Kay. Started school up there. Uh, I was, I was really trying to figure out what I wanted to do. I had no idea. Uh, growing up in school, there was, you know, subjects I liked. There was, yeah things that interested me. There was a lot of things that bored me. So I turned into the kid who most of the time would not do their homework. Yeah. Uh, That definitely carried over into college as I was really just not loving a lot of what I was going through and learning. hundred percent. So I took a break, worked on a potato farm for about a year. That was like the greatest job. It, I've was ever that had. like by chance or because you needed money or you're definitely like, by choice? Okay. So you're like, I'm going to become a farmer maybe. Or yeah. What? Yeah. Well, not necessarily for like from the career perspective, but yeah. like, man, that just looks like a lot of fun. I want to drive tractors. I want to drive some big trucks. I want to okay. get in the dirt. So and, you got uh, some country in you. Yes. <laughs> That's Sweet. actually one of my end goals is I would love to have a big farm. Yeah. Cattle, alfalfa fields. Cool. I want to have a buffalo farm. I love buffalo. I have talked about having a buffalo ranch really? so many times. Dude, let's do yeah. it. That's like a huge, huge thing for me. Is I'd love to have that. So we'll, we'll yeah. have to geek out on that. Absolutely. It's, it's funny. So when I was 12 years old, I went to a, maybe, maybe 13, I went to a boy's ranch up in Teton Valley, Idaho. Okay. And there was an older couple there who hosted these ranches 
and really summer getaways every single year for free. And all they asked is that you um, have to like apply to a lottery to get selected to it. Okay. Anyway, they, they have a few thousand acres up there. They have farm fields. Every morning they make you get up and move the irrigation pipes and feed the pigs and the chickens. Yeah. And I absolutely loved my time there. That's sick. It was a really impactful event for me because it was like the first yeah. time I was really out of the house and solo. I mean, 12, 13 Is years old. Is this like a disobedient, get out of here to a boys <laughs> ranch type thing? <laughs> See, or? that's why I'm hesitant <laughs> to bring it up is most people are like, oh, like, is this a juvenile detention type thing? Yeah. No, it was a... Uh, really just an, an experience that they wanted to okay. offer young like kids. Like a self-development type of thing. Exactly. Yeah, no, I mean, anybody that's worked on a farm is like, they can look back and say, we learned so much about yeah. working on the farm, living on the farm, all that stuff. And I think a lot yeah. of people want their kids to experience that. It's honest work. So that is a type of experience that if you don't have a farm, you send your kid out there to experience that, sounds like. Exactly. And you learn a lot of lessons very quickly. You learn how heavy pigs actually are when you're trying to chase them around the pig pen and yeah. put them in a That's can sick, and take them man. to another place. But yeah. it, was, it was a lot of fun. I, I grew up you know, in Colorado, Utah, Idaho, so in the Rocky Mountains. I grew up loving nature. Yeah. The mountains, camping, being just outside. being outdoors. Yeah. The energy that I get from it is totally. very sustaining. Okay. And, and I think that's really what led me to want to work on a potato farm. I was like, man, I love the outdoors. I love food. This is a great combination. So what's the transition from that? <laughs> yeah, it was uh, an, a very interesting path. So it was about that same time. Okay. Um, I had been working on the farm for almost a year at that point. We were doing 16, 20-hour days during potato harvest, which if you've never seen a potato harvest, I will take you up to Idaho and show you. It's amazing. Um, but it was around that time where I had been home from my mission for a little over a year. Um, Chelsea, my current wife, we had been disconnected for a few years. We dated a little bit before I left. I finally got her, you know. Yeah. Um, she was she's she was a few years older, so dating a high schooler wasn't exactly appealing to her at that time. So we kind of just parted ways. Um, but it was around that time we we connected through a crazy circumstance where her sister married one of the guys I played basketball with up in Idaho. Okay. So her sister's from Utah. Wow, that's crazy. They met at Utah State. They told everybody they met through me. They met on Tinder. They just didn't want to tell people that. My mom went to their wedding reception because she was good friends with the Idaho family. Yeah. And got home that night and said, Nikita, why aren't you dating Chelsea? Like, she's single. I had no idea she was single, right? She wrote, like, wrote me the whole Dear John letter. You know? Like, that's my girl. I know. I was like, oh, it's coming back. Yeah. Uh, sent her a message that night and got no response for about four weeks. Um, <laughs> <laughs> to this day, she still does not use Facebook. So if you want to get a hold of a girl, please do not use Facebook Messenger. Um, for some reason, that was the only vehicle uh, of choice. They don't need to, you know? I know. I know, but uh, things just lined up perfectly, and that actually led to a lot of the other things that I started to transition into. Um, we reconnected. We got married like four months later, um, moved in to a small apartment in Logan, Utah, so I started going to Utah State there. Studying what? Still no idea. I was, okay, just, yeah. but does that mean you're just in like doing your business I was, I, generals? I was doing what? generals, yeah. yeah, so taking some accounting classes, marketing classes, stuff yeah. like that. Okay. Really still Which trying is to figure hard, out. right? Because when you were talking about college earlier, I remember so many people at that phase of my life asking me, you know, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? And I'm like, how would I know? Yeah. Like, I've never done anything. Yeah. And so you've never done anything, but you have to make this decision on what right. you want to graduate in and do the rest of your life when you've never yeah. done anything. It's a lot of pressure. So I think like probably, and I'm sure we'll get into it in your story, but my story and just a lot of people I know, it's like, I think you just got to get going in something. Yeah. 
and you'll figure out what you have a passion for. Exactly. But yeah, sorry, keep going. So at that time, Utah yeah, State, business generals. Going to college, still not loving it. Um, my wife actually sat me down one day because I was working about 40 hours a week, 50 hours a week doing uh, sales for T-Mobile, selling phones and phone okay. plans and stuff. And Just while you're going to school? Yeah, yeah, just making some money. And she sat me down and said, Nikita, if you're going to do this school thing, you, you need to do this all in. Or if you're going to do this work thing, you need to do this all in. Because you can be really good at one when you're focusing on it, but right now I don't think you know what to do. And she was a huge just mirror for me in that moment to realize, like, wow, like, this is not just myself anymore. This is, you know, a family that we're looking to start. And that led to a few more things of eventually starting my own business. Um, that's really what I realized I wanted to do after starting to seriously consider, okay, if I wasn't doing school, what yeah. would I be doing instead? Sure. What's going to make me money? You know, how can I make money? How can I replace the thought of a degree with, you know, some, maybe some business experience or set myself up over the next few years? Had you done door to door up, up at that point? I did. Okay. Cause w- yes. one, one thing I think that if, if you're struggling on trying to figure out what you want to do. For me, I've always really valued sales yeah. because you probably saw this when you're in the T-Mobile store and when you're going into all these homes, it's so interesting to be able to have thousands of conversations with different people yeah. and see their life story and what they do for work and all that. At least for me, that really opened my eye to see yeah. what I could be passionate about or not. Totally. And I don't know if that was a factor for you in finally figuring out that you want to do your own business. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's funny that you mentioned that because that was kind of exactly what it was, is because I was good at sales, and that's what I had involved most of my time doing, I was really good at just talking to people and building relationships. And, yeah. And through a lot of these sales relationships, began to see what people did and thought to myself, wow, like you're not too different than me. I feel like I could do something like that as well. Yeah, I, I could do I, that. I could excel in it. And to this day, I still believe and preach uh, that sales is probably the most number one skill someone can learn in their early 20s and spend time getting really good at that's going to set them up for the rest of their life. I totally agree. Because you'll either find what you really want to do or you will make a lot of money and set yourself up with freedom to then be able to focus on other yeah. things. Mark Cuban always says, if I lost everything tomorrow, I would go back and get a sales job. That would yeah. be step one. That's It's where you're going to get that the highest income probably yeah. to get you going on that path again, right? Absolutely. And, and, it, and, it's, and it's really fun because I've actually been able to um, use that philosophy, if you will, on my little brother. So my little brother just turned 21. Um, okay. He now works with us and cool. on the sales side of things. He came to me and he goes, yeah. I really want to learn sales. He's like, is sales a valuable skill? I'm like, oh my gosh, sit down, let me tell you. And now he's starting cool. in that cycle and you know his eyes are opening on what's going to happen down the road. So. so you did the marketing agency for how long? I did that about for about a year and a half. Okay. So we were selling leads to door-to-door companies, and it was fine. Uh, we were, well, it was more than fine. We were one of the largest vendors for door-to-door companies in the state of Utah for leads coming through the door. People wanted to buy pest control or get quotes for solar. And it's all direct sales companies as clients, it sounds yes, like? Yes, okay. it was. Now, I didn't love the people I was working with. I, I, was, I, was, I was very new to the entrepreneur space, right? I, I thought that the first company you started was like the thing that you had to do for the rest of your life and you had to scale it to $100 million and that yeah. was how to be successful. Um, but that actually led me to pivot into a few different things. Throughout okay. that process, I really understood marketing really well. It was a great degree in marketing and driving traffic and getting clients. 
And up to that point, I also understood sales really well. And it was around that time where I met um, a lot of my partners that I'm working with now, you know, Bridger, one yeah. of them, Yeah. to where we really started looking at what it was going to take to scale investment fund secrets. Um, he and Mason was the other guy had been doing some really cool stuff in the world of online consulting and like coaching and uh, mentorship, if you will. And that's what led me to um, want to work with them was one, the skill that I had developed up to that point. And two, I really saw what they were trying to do. They were trying to teach people how to start investment funds. And I thought yeah. that was really cool. Yeah. I had no idea what an investment fund was, but it sounded like a lot of money. <laughs> and I was to the point where I was like, man, I just really want to make lots of money and have a really big business. So we all, you know, got in the same boat and were able to scale that to about a million dollars a month from just our sales team. So I was in charge of getting, you know, hiring sales secrets. guys, mm -hmm, yeah. investment fund secrets, hiring sales guys, training them, figuring out of our, all of our client acquisition strategies and really building that thing from the ground up. That's it was, awesome. It was a lot of fun and a lot of work. Yeah. How long was that period? Um, so that was about two, two years or so. Okay. Um, and then you got into the two funds. And then, yes. And then I started getting to investment funds myself. Uh, okay. We were teaching people about funds and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm always looking for opportunities and I'm always looking to make connections with really cool people. So throughout yeah. this process, right, we are teaching people how to start investment funds. That's the product we're selling. So we're talking to a lot of people who are real estate investors, who are private equity investors, crypto investors, traders. And I started to really look at some of these high value skills that these people had and started to realize I can connect some of these people with some of these other people who I know have money and potentially start a fund myself. Yeah. And so that's what we started to do. We started to do some stuff with um, hard money lending, like single family fix and flips. Uh, that lasted for a few months. We were syndicating a few deals there. Um, I had met prior a partner of mine today who specialized in crypto mining. And throughout this process of me looking at wanting to get a fund started in the crypto space, he came to mind and we really decided that it made a lot of sense to do a crypto mining fund. Because um, at that point, I had a lot of the skills needed and the knowledge of how funds work, but also how the crypto market worked. Uh, I, I had studied the crypto market almost religiously for a while and had invested in Bitcoin, had been trading Bitcoin, and he introduced me to the mining side of Bitcoin. And that's where we started our first fund around was mining Bitcoin. What got you into crypto, do you think? What was it about it that you found interesting? That's a good question. At first, it was something everybody was talking about. Yeah. Um, I remember buying Bitcoin, and of course, everybody remar remembers buying Bitcoin when it was under $1,000. Um, but I remember on, in um, probably 2013, buying a bunch of Bitcoin. And my dad said, that is the worst thing you could have possibly spent your money on. Wow. And he looked at me 13. and was so disappointed. Dang. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh. I'm so sorry. So I sold all of it like a week later and bought some stocks, Apple wow. or something. Um, and then, but had secretly dabbled in buying a lot more crypto than my dad probably knew about at the time. Mm -hmm. But I think the biggest thing that appealed to me was how different of an approach it was to currency or to our current monetary system. At first, I don't think anybody really understands all the ins and outs of the technology behind crypto, uh, but I just loved the fact that it was something new, something different. It, it was a shiny object that I would like to chase after for a minute. Yeah. And then I was really sold on a lot of the technology behind it and what crypto could actually mean in our society. 
Totally. So that got you into it, and then opportunities present present themselves, and then you get into the mining fund, and that's one of your two hedge funds right now, right? Correct. Yeah. So crypto mining fund number one um, has been a lot of fun. We've we've managed to time the markets pretty well, I would say, with a lot of the recent turmoil in crypto. Mining, in my opinion, is probably the the stablest way to get into crypto. I think everybody and my friend um, preaches the same philosophy. You learn about crypto, then you trade crypto, and then everybody ends up mining crypto. If you look at what Jack Dorsey and Elon Musk are doing right now, that's exactly what they're doing is they're building really? massive facilities to mine crypto. Wow. Because it's the most passive way and, and the least expensive way to accumulate Bitcoin. Yeah. So if you believe in Bitcoin long term, why not acquire it in the cheapest way possible? Yeah. And so in your mining fund, is it it's mining just Bitcoin? Correct. No other coins, right? We do just Bitcoin. Okay. And historically, like if we look back the last 12 months, what would you say an average monthly return is or has been? Yeah. For most Bitcoin miners over the past 12 months, now that's changed quite a bit in the past three months. Um, in some context with that, if you're listening and you're not familiar, the reason why it's changed is because yeah. the Bitcoin price has changed so much. And Correct. your mining returns are going to fluctuate with the, the price of yeah, the token, right? Exactly, yeah, because miners, the way that they work is they are compensated in a certain amount of Bitcoin. So that'll stay the same relatively. Um, however, if the price of Bitcoin is a third of what it was before, that's going to change a little bit of what that actually means in U.S. dollars. Yeah. So over the past 12 months or so, miners have been able to do anywhere from about 4% per month, which is what some of our miners are doing right now yeah. at the current price of Bitcoin, all the way up to 20 to 30% monthly returns. Bitcoin has a lot of upward mobility sometimes, right? And when it starts to really take off, and that's going to increase the value of miners, that's going to increase the value of the Bitcoin that they're mining. And a lot of people are holding their Bitcoin. So some miners are turned on and they're mining Bitcoin, but they're not selling it. And so your returns could potentially skyrocket if you've held your Bitcoin over the the course of 12 months, two years, and decide to sell it when it goes up. In the fund, does the investor get to keep the Bitcoin? Is it theirs or... The Bitcoin's all yours and you're just paying them a return. Yeah. So what we do is we actually sell the Bitcoin every 30 days. Um, so we're not trying to time the markets of Bitcoin at all. Yeah. We specialize in the mining side of things and say, yeah. our job is we're going to do the best job mining possible for you. We're not yeah. going to try and hold Bitcoin, time Bitcoin. So we're going to mine and we're holding things. Yep. Okay, cool. So I'm guessing it's just a typical fund structure where minimum check size is usually... What would you say for you guys? Yeah, so minimums right now is probably about 50 to 100K okay. is really where we can get started with investors. Typical check size is probably 250. Correct. Okay. Uh, uh, minimum lockup time? Uh, right now, 18 months. Okay. Quarterly reporting? Yeah, so we do quarterly reporting, quarterly returns. Okay. Um, even though we're liquidating Bitcoin on a monthly basis, we're just distributing each quarter. Yeah. Okay, cool. Anything else? on the fund that we maybe skipped? No, I think I'm in, and you may be able to hear how excited I am talking about yeah. crypto mining. Yeah. Right? Um, I just think regardless of if you're investing in a fund or, you know, looking to dabble in crypto mining, I just highly suggest everybody does it because crypto mining is really going to be the gateway to a lot of other 
profitable ways to make money off of crypto in the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, crypto mining is a really good gateway drug, I call it, because once you start mining and accumulating, it's um, it's a really fun process that you want to keep yourself into. So yeah. if anybody has questions about mining, like reach out to me. You know, I I love chatting about mining cool. and all the specifics there. Yeah. What do you think? Like fast forward five to ten years, hopefully the crypto adoption and and you and I are both part of some groups that we're trying to help out with that and hopefully help with how things are viewed from a legal and tax standpoint to help it become more friendly. But five, 10 years from now, let's say we're getting either towards more of a mass adoption or we're starting to see that. Do you think we're using Bitcoin at that time? That's a good question. I think Bitcoin will stay around for a while. Okay. Now, whether that's going to be the main currency or yeah. not, I guess we'll see. I think yeah. a lot of governments and organizations want their hand in being the main currency, right? Because there's a lot of benefits to that. Yeah. But I think Bitcoin has built up enough momentum and large enough of a user base to where I'm not going to necessarily call my shots, right? But I think it's going to yeah. be one of the only crypto projects to survive the next few years. Yeah. And if you've been in, I mean, I can't believe you were getting in in 13, dude. That's crazy. Yeah. Should have held, man. That is so nuts. <laughs> Buying five Bitcoin at a time, right? Yeah. When you were talking about, you know, it's just getting a lot of buzz and stuff. I thought you were going to say 2017, 2018. No, I was I was in some weird groups even, uh, even back then. To yeah. Where, like the yeah. dark corners of the internet. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Cool. Well, your other fund is a real estate fund and Correct. it's a multifamily fund. It's a value add fund. Yeah. Right. Tell us about that fund. Yeah. So even with the recent you know, changes in the real estate market, if you will, there's increased interest rates. There's um, a lot going on right now with just the general supply of you know homes and yeah. uh, buildings in general. So we focus on value add for multifamily buildings. So we'll identify maybe a building that's from the 1970s, 1980s, figure out ways where we can increase the internal appearance as well as the external appearance of the units and the and the building overall figure out ways where we can maybe add amenities and charge additional fees to over the period of about 18 to 24 months increase the value of you know the rent per door so that's really what we're focused on right now and uh, mostly the midwest probably from texas to nashville and then a lot of areas in the south is where we look at a lot of our deals does it do you guys look at like red states versus blue states that is a big factor, yeah. especially lately. You know, a lot of inbound traffic seems to be going to some of the red states. For sure. Texas has had a large amount of movements. Even Utah. Um, we're, we're starting to look at a lot of the different data options here. Yeah. Yes, the U-Haul data is absolutely fascinating to, to really see where people are going and then yeah. to compare that with the amount of inventory available in those places. Um, over the next few years, I think the real estate market is going to shift a little bit from a lot of what it's been uh, to a lot more development just because there's people need homes. There's not enough places for yeah, people to a live shortage. in a lot of states. With that, and then we'll come back to the fund. I want to keep going with that. But what do you see the market doing? Because it, it's kind of interesting, right? Yeah. With the economy and potential recession on hand, but we're still seeing a huge shortage with housing. Yeah. So what do you think is going to happen? Yeah, we, we are in a very interesting situation. I think we're already in a recession. Yeah. Um, and with that, we've we've already used a lot of the tools we usually have to fight recessions, right? So interest rates, we can't really lower them at all. We're actually trying to increase them to fight inflation. And so where that is going to play into real estate, especially the fact that there's shortages, I think real estate is, may stay the same. Um, yeah. We, we may continue to see a lot of the same prices that we're seeing right now. 
I know what's happening right now, especially in multifamily real estate, is that the cash flow is changing a lot. And I think from an investor's perspective, um, things are going to change from cash-intensive investments to investments that may be more targeted with tax opportunities or tax savings advantages, whether that's opportunity zones or depreciation, um, to you know maybe three to five-year bets when things hopefully are going to change a little mm-hmm. bit in terms of interest so rates. So when you say cash flow, you're just talking about higher interest rates. So it's yeah. margins are tighter and multifamily exactly. and it's more competitive. There's it is. every year there's more competition, right? Exactly. More, more buyers looking for that same asset class. Yeah. The cash flow is, is going down in a lot of different asset classes right now. Now yeah. one place where it may stay the same, if not get even better is single family homes because inventories are so low there's a high demand for houses in general. And because, you know, there's not as many houses on the market, people are potentially looking at not selling their house and moving, um, but selling their, or maybe just renting their house out and moving. So they're actually taking another house off the market from sellers. Sure. So rent prices can actually stay pretty high and especially looking at mortgage payments, right? Mortgages are larger houses and even medium sized houses are becoming less affordable to people. And renting is still going to be the cheaper option. So from an investor's perspective, this is why large hedge funds are buying up hundreds of thousands of single family residential homes, because those are going to cash flow really well because people can't necessarily afford to buy with the current interest rates. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's going to be interesting. I think numbers, I haven't checked it all, but numbers are supposed to come in out today, right? I think so. For the last yeah. two quarters to see <laughs> yeah. if we're officially in yep. a recession. I haven't checked, but... I need to go look that up later today. So the real estate fund, where are you guys at with that? Like how much have you raised for that fund and what's some of the returns you're seeing? Yeah. So a few cool things with that fund is we have a few different er aspects at play. So we, we, we have about $12 million in commitments already. Okay. We just got our legal paperwork back probably three weeks ago. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. We just barely got our legal work back. Um, we're about 12 million, 12 million in commitments already. We also have partnerships with a large family office to where they will be about 90% of the capital on every single deal we have. So our 12 million, we can actually leverage that up to about $120 million worth of buying power. Cool. So which gives our investors much more diversification. Yeah. Right. Because they are a much smaller fish in the pond. So we can diversify across more deals. Okay. Um, But it also puts us in a unique position where we can move pretty aggressively. Um, with $120 million at our back, we can execute on deals a lot faster than some other smaller real estate funds right now. Yeah. So, so we've been seeing some pretty good returns. Um, we're pretty close to uh, getting under contract with two different units right now, looking at probably 18 to 20-ish percent returns or IRR right, yeah. over the course of the next 18 yeah. to 24 months. Awesome. Same structure, quarterly reports. So that one's What's the payout. What's the lockup? Yeah. So the lockup on that one is going to be a 24 month lockup, um, just so we can keep in the deals. Mo- mo- most of the deals we're looking at are going to be at least 20 or max 24 months. Yeah. Um, and then that one's going to be annual distributions. Nice. Cool. That that's exciting. How old is the crypto fund? So the crypto fund is almost a year old now. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. And I didn't ask, but what do what do you what have you already deployed and what are you raising? Cause there's two funds on that one within, right? Correct. Yeah. So fund number one, um, we're not necessarily raising a whole lot into it anymore. Uh, I'm kind of waiting to see what prices are going to be like. So I don't want to raise a bunch of money and then 
not be able to deploy it or whatever. Um, so that one is technically closed right now. We may open it back up in a few months, depending on what the markets are doing. And then fund number two, we're in the process of about $150 million raise. We have about half of that soft committed already Wow! to build out solar power data facilities, use a lot of the tax credits and depreciation advantages and different things there to actually fill the data centers with machines for free, pretty much. Yeah. So that's going to be a really fun that's play. Sweet. That's we really cool. Lock all that up. That's a massive raise on fund two for that. Yeah. It's insane. <laughs> it is. Congrats. And thank you. Yeah. And I don't take the credit. I think one thing I learned early on in this, I was I was actually mapping this out the other night, knowing that we'd be chatting. I think I had probably 12 different business ideas and startups that I worked on within like a two-year period. And every single one of them failed. And I slowly started to realize, I was like, hmm, the common denominator of things that actually worked out yeah. was when I had really good partners mm. and I had really cool people I was partnered with, but not only cool people that I liked yeah. to be around, but also the, that were very successful. And that was probably one of the biggest lessons that I took moving forward is, is if I can surround myself with the most successful people possible, things will move 10 times quicker. So all the other ones that didn't work out, you didn't have that? No, it was just myself, yeah. you know, thinking I'm a big shot or, <laughs> you know, me and a few buddies partnered up working on yeah. some stuff. And I love my friends. I love everybody in my, you know, personal life friend group. Yet we were almost doing each other a disservice by <laughs> marrying ourselves together in different business ideas because we're all inexperienced at that point, you know. So do you find that some of your successful ventures have been without your friend group? And it's yes. been more business partners that you become friends with through that venture. Absolutely. Yeah. That has been by far the biggest thing. Um, I want to, now I want to give back to my friend group and, you know, my family and siblings and people in my small community, right. And make sure everybody eats and um, everybody has the resources that they need yet growing in business and that growth, that massive growth has really come from partnering with people who I consider to be leagues above me. Yeah, in ways that I can still provide massive value to. Yeah. And that's really been the system that I've tried to build. How do you do that? Because I think a lot of people want to crack that code where they mm. want to be around people that are what whatever you want to call it, either further down the line or they're older and have more experience or more successful. They wanna they wanna be in with those guys, but how do you provide value to somebody like that? Yeah, that's a great question. I've been chatting with a lot of people about this recently because I have sales guys that come up to me and ask me all the time. And, yeah. Um, I think the biggest thing that you can do is have extremely valuable skill sets. And this is one of the reasons why I preach that sales is probably the most lucrative skill you can learn in your life is because if you are very good at sales, chances are you're good at a few things. You're very good at communication. Mm -hmm. You have quite a bit of confidence you understand how to read a room and how to read body language. Yeah. And you're also pretty quick on your feet. And so I think the first thing you need to be really good at is some sort of skill like that, where you can break into a room, you have very solid communication. You can think quick on your feet, right? Because when you think quick on your feet and you have a lot of these other skills, then you can really see ways where people may need value. One of the best ways that I found to give value to people way above myself in terms of, you know, a networking status, or whatever, I think Jimmy was talking about how there's like scale of one to 10, right? And sometimes making jumps a few tiers above yourself, for me at least, has come from connecting that person 
with someone else who may be one or two tiers above them that I have sure. rapport with. Sure. Because I think you can have rapport with people, especially in the state of Utah. I, th- I think this is awesome. There, there are different areas of life where you can develop trust from people. Um, one of the reasons why I think networking in the state of Utah is really cool is because um, the church here, almost everybody's very connected to their immediate and small communities. Yeah. And a lot of people absolutely. have some sort of basic understanding or basic friendship already. And if you can take that trust and put that into other environments, it actually transfers over really easily. Yeah. So one of the first things I did, and and this is about a year ago, I had a friend of mine who was looking for somebody to run a essentially a private equity strategy, rolling up a bunch of businesses. I wanted to have a higher status with him and potentially partner with him one day. And I knew another guy who was really good at private equity rollups, but they didn't know each other. Now, this guy I was in a mastermind with, so I actually had a really good relationship with him completely outside of business. And I said, hey, my friend's actually looking for help with his business over here. I think yeah. you're the perfect fit. That's sick. I introduced the two. The yeah. guy made like $400 million from it. Wow. Like a massive, massive deal. And I ended up being able to partnership with the guy who I was hoping to in That's the first cool. place because my status was able to go up. Yeah. So have good, like have have a good skill that you can rely on. Yeah. And then always be looking for ways to try and connect people with something valuable, right? Whether you have to be abundant to do that though, yeah. right? Because some people I know aren't going to make the connection unless they know how they're going to personally benefit from it, mm. which is a scarcity mindset. Yeah, They're thinking there's not enough and I need to be taken care of. Yeah, But when you're abundant, there's always enough, right? There's Absolutely. enough, there's plenty to go around and there's always enough. And so you're like, not even worried. Like, yeah, let me introduce you to my buddy. Oh, He's checking this out like, with no intent yeah, of getting anything. Exactly. Like I, li- I literally could not care less in those situations. Yeah. In fact, I hope you do really cool stuff totally. together because right? you will always remember the guy <laughs> who introduced you. Yeah. You know, that's actually how I just got my TRX was, uh, they're really hard to find right now. And I introduced a few buddies and because of that, the guy's like, Hey, I have an allocation for your TRX. If you're still looking for one, I'm like, Oh my gosh, I've been trying yeah. to find one. I ended up getting a decently priced truck out of it, right? I but. wonder what it would have happened. And I, I think I know, but I'm just asking this as an example. But if you would have gone to your one buddy and said, hey, if I introduce you to this guy, what are you going to pay me? I bet <laughs> what, it would have damaged your what relationship. What kind of finder's fee am I going to yeah. get here? Yeah. It, it would have changed how he perceived you. Yeah. And it, I don't know if you would have ended up partnering with one of them, right? So I, I don't know. I think uh, I've just seen a lot of deals or relationships fall apart because they either ask like, well, what are you going to make off of it? And, and should you cut me in or what are you going to pay me? And it just, I think you just have to be abundant and you have to give freely. I agree. You know, Zig Ziglar is like, if you help other people get everything they want, then you'll sure. get everything you want. Yeah. And it really is that. Like yeah. if you can help people make a lot of money, it may not come tomorrow. It may not come the next day or the next month. Yeah. But if you have a habit of continually looking for ways to do that, you will realize that all of a sudden you are the most valuable person in the room because you are the person who helps everybody else make money. Yeah. And that just naturally ascends you to a point where you get a lot back from it, more than you ever would have gotten from a small finder's fee or small percentage or something like that. And I don't think it has to be just money. And I, exactly. I, I'm sure you don't either. Exactly. Look, if you want friendship, get mm-hmm. friendship. Focus yeah. on providing value to friends, right? Yeah. And that's what you'll get back in return. It's just the Zig Ziglar quote is so awesome because it starts with others first, yep. right? I love it. So I know you do a lot of investing in 
in you. Yeah. Besides all this other stuff. I do. Yeah. <laughs> which is cool. I love yeah. that. That's like one of the biggest things in my life is personal investing in myself. So what are some of the best investments you've made, whether it's been groups or mastermind or education courses or whatever? What's been some of your more rewarding things, yeah. but more profitable too? That's a great question. So I, I like to invest myself in a few ways. The first is a monetary investment, something that costs money, whether that's a mastermind or a course. Yeah. Um, and I have been in some amazing groups with really, I, I would say the most valuable thing I have ever invested in was with a really good friend of mine now. His name is William Lamb. He runs a company called Upgrade, and he okay. teaches people essentially how to upgrade your mind, right? His entire mission is to upgrade humanity. He, he teaches you how to control your beliefs, how to you know, really look at yourself figuring out why you are the way you are, why you think the way you think, why you act the way you do. Yeah. And that was absolutely transformative for me. Sick. That is investment. He, he, he was. Okay. <laughs> he just moved down to Scottsdale. Okay. Um, is about, he still about, doing about it About six there? months ago. Yes. Okay. So it's called Upgrade. It's called Upgrade. Is it a mastermind or more like a coaching It is. It is or what? Um, a, a little bit of both. So, okay. So they do like a few in-person trainings per year. They have like an entire content library that you get access to. And then they do have like the mastermind group aspect, which is really cool because there's a lot of really good business owners in there and other guys just absolutely crushing it in different areas. Yeah. Yet still looking for maybe peace or an acceleration in a different area of their life. And so I would say the reason why that was the most valuable is because that's what really taught me the fact that, yes, you can have a lot of money from cool businesses, and at the same time, you can have a lot of time with your family and you can have a great relationship with your spouse it's and you can a, have good health. It's not a, or it's exactly. an and, right? Exactly. That's pretty cool. I love that. So upgrade was huge. It was awesome. Any, yeah. Anything else? Yeah. I've, uh, I've spent a lot of money on just different like mastermind networks, seeing what I can learn from other people. Um, whether that's networking groups, I, I try and spend multiple <laughs> tens of thousands of dollars a year on yeah. just like different courses. Um, like last year, a few of the things I bought was a course specifically on crypto, right? I thought I knew crypto quite a bit. I wanted to see it from a different perspective, learn as much as I can from that. I've bought courses on real estate investing. Um, I buy courses all the time on like communication and sales. Even though I've been doing sales for the past 10 years pretty yeah. consistently, I still buy stuff going through that. I'll I will gladly pay a few thousand dollars to learn from somebody else just to get more exposure to how things are taught. Yeah. And so all of those were great. What I think is probably the most valuable aspect of that though, is by the act of investing in myself, regardless of what the actual product is or courses by investing in myself, what I'm communicating to myself and what I'm telling, you know, internal Nikita is, Hey, I value you. I value you. You are worth this investment. Like you are worth spending the time learning things. Mm -hmm. And I think that communication to myself has probably been the most valuable thing of all is really just understanding what it means when I do invest in myself. Yeah. It's so good to be intentional with that. And I don't know if people realize that, that they get so busy with life that you most people don't even make it to an investing stage where they can invest mm. in real estate or whatever. Yeah. But even with that, you forget to invest in yourself because I don't know if it's a natural thought, right? It's true. But it's the best investment you could ever make. Yeah. And 
I think a lot of people look at, okay, I, w- I want to help others before I help myself. And I think that's a limiting mindset, right? Yeah. I think you can help others and help yourself. And yourself. But I think investing in yourself increases your ability to help others, which then increases your ability to invest in yourself. You know what I mean? Also, yeah. it's like a compounding cycle that, that you can really get into. It's, it's the whole airplane thing, right? Put your own mask on before you put your mask on somebody else. I want to make sure I'm as solid as possible because I owe it to everybody else around me to be as solid as possible and to yeah. be the one who can invest in myself. If that makes sense. Once you start down that road, whether it's addicting in a good way or you see the value, but I think once you start doing that self-development journey and you're investing, whether it's books or mindset stuff or masterminds or coaching groups or whatever, you realize what you don't know. Yeah. And then you start on this quest where you're like, I got to keep going. I got to keep learning on crypto yeah. or real estate, whatever. What do you think it was for you to start down that path? Yeah, I, I realized that there was a gap between where I was and where I wanted to be. And I've, I've always been a pretty deep thinker. I like taking walks and going on drives and sometimes even like recording voice memos of what I'm thinking through. And so I thought pretty deeply about where I was and where I wanted to be and realized that there was a pretty big gap. It was a skills gap. It was an identity gap. It was a belief gap. And so honestly, I just started down the closest thing available. I think it was some sort of sales training at the time to where if I can just fix one thing or improve one thing, like let's just work on the most attainable thing at the moment for me, mm. which was because I didn't have a lot of money. You know, I was yeah. like, oh, I have maybe $500, $600, yeah. $2,000 if we, uh, you know, convince the wife to let me use a credit card. Uh, but it was just the closest next tangible step that I can see to slowly yeah. start to improve my environment. And you don't need a lot. I mean, if you're listening to this right now, you don't need a lot. There's, I can look yeah. back to a couple of books that have forever changed my life that are 15 to 20 bucks. Yeah. You know, a couple of books, exactly. you're 50, $60. Yeah. That's nothing. But then you yeah. can keep moving up into different things, but it doesn't take much. Yeah. And and, uh, and with that as well, yes, you can invest into yourself with money. I believe money is value, right? Yeah. Money is the value we give it, which in turn is energy. Well, yeah. what else can be equated to energy? I believe time, time is energy. For sure. And the time you invest in yourself in a very deliberate way. I've noticed your Instagram stories, you are always with the weights on, right? <laughs> with the books, you know? And, yeah. and you spend a lot of time deliberately yeah. working on yourself. And I believe that is just as valuable as a monetary investment into things is spend time working on yourself. I'm glad you brought that up because there's so many free resources, yeah. the audibles and podcasts and all this stuff. And that, that's why I love that you shared all that stuff about just thinking about things to yourself. Are you an introvert? Have you ever taken the test to see where I you're I am at? an introvert. Okay, I was <laughs> yep. going to ask that because I, so I'm very similar in the fact that I love time with myself. It's what recharges my batteries. I need to be able to process and visualize and all that. That's like walking alone in the morning. I love that time. And also consumption, right? I can consume content and things. And so that's awesome. Well, besides investing in yourself, what are you doing in as far as your personal portfolio, your Mm -hmm. investments, what are you investing in? Yeah. So early on, it was very much you know, crypto focused. A lot of what I was doing was around crypto. A lot of my daily stuff was crypto. After that, we started to move a little bit more into real estate. We actually had a bunch of Airbnb properties in 
Vineyard, Utah, before the city so kindly asked us to not do that anymore. Oh, I wasn't even aware. <laughs> yeah. So no, sh- no yeah, nightly so rentals? N- no short-term rentals okay. in Vineyard. As far as I know, that still stands. Okay. Um, but yeah, I, I love investing into things that are cash flow intensive right now. Because I'm pretty young, I view my risk tolerance as pretty high. And most things that require a high risk tolerance are going to be pretty cash intensive. And the reason for that is I want to set myself up with as much cash flow as possible to then just have enough in the bank to just fund whatever other investments I want. So I like businesses. Um, For example, four or five months ago, we acquired a merchant processing company. That was an investment that we made because they cash flow really well. And we can invest a little bit in there and see some pretty good returns, even though it's a little bit riskier. Yeah. But I love real estate. I love short-term rentals just because they're a little bit more cash intensive. Or uh, So do you still own some short-term? No, we got out okay. of all of those. Okay. Yeah. That was... Yeah. So my wife had done an amazing job of building that side of the business. She had decorated them, listed them. She was making like probably 15% per month uh, profits on each of the units that we had and was doing a really great job. And then after that, we kind of decided, you know what, maybe this is a sign. This is not necessarily what we want to be doing full time and focus on things that may be a little bit more hands off. Cool. What, what type of investment are you most excited about right now? Could be anything. I would say our crypto investments really, um, in mining specifically. In mining specifically, yeah. yeah. Because mining has really opened the doorway for us to be able to focus on now some of these investments in the facility side of things, the infrastructure. Um, if you think about where the United States is going or really where the world's going, it is becoming more and more technologically advanced. With more technology being introduced, there's two things that happen. There's larger amounts of energy consumption, and there's a higher need for data and storage and servers and facilities. And so building out a lot of these data centers, yes, they're for crypto mining. However, if worst case scenario happens, there is still a huge need for data storage and places that have large amounts of energy. Yeah, absolutely agree. How I think when I think about success, a huge part of that is usually the person's mindset and their personal belief system. Mm -hmm. I kind of look at it like an operating system for your Mac or your phone, whatever, and you can upgrade, you can change it, but that's what allows you to do what you can do. So talk to me about your personal belief system and, Mm. and how you've learned that. Yeah, that's great. I, it's, it's, it's something I've been very intentional in creating. I think most of our lives, probably until we're 25, 26 years old, we're probably not very aware of the beliefs we have and the impact those beliefs have in the world around us. And so from a young age, a lot of your programming or belief systems come from school and parents and church. Yeah. You know, just the environments that you're in. Sure. Sports coaches are usually a huge one. And that can be really good. And at the same time, you have to keep in mind that those are all people who probably weren't very deliberate with their belief systems. Yeah, right? it just kind of happens exactly. unless you're intentional with it. Precisely. And so I really sat down and was and was very deliberate and looked at why I believe the things I believed in terms of what my potential was. I'm very much purpose-driven. I've always, you know, really been striving towards, okay, what is my purpose in life? Like, how can I really accomplish that? And my beliefs, I realized, didn't really support that. Um, my beliefs, especially around money, were like, yeah. oh, I don't, I don't deserve money or... Or, or money's bad, right? Yeah. I don't, I don't need to get what I want. I just need, 
you know, kind of baseline what I need. And I realized that that translated into a lot of other areas, whether that was like relationships, whether that was time, whether that was my health. How crazy is that to have the belief around your health of, oh, sure, I want a six pack, but I don't really need it. So I'm just not going to care. You know, and I've really started to think like, wow, that's kind of wild. If I want something, I'm going to get it. If I want a six pack, yeah, I'm going to get it. And so the first belief that I really worked on changing was I can have what I want and what I need. And because I think sometimes it's almost an either or. Yet I realized you don't need to spend every single weekend with your spouse or with your kids. You don't need to spend every evening with your kids. But I want to. I want to have the life where I can do that. Yeah. You know, I don't need to be, you know, 12% body fat, able to deadlift 600 pounds, but I want to. And so a lot of these beliefs I realized were correlated to different areas of life. Yeah. It's a fascinating thing we're talking about wants versus needs because every morning I'll go through a visualization process where I, I see what I want to create my life and what I am creating in my life. And because of that, I've been able to hit as long as I can remember everything I've ever mm. set. And I wonder if it's because I truly believe that's my standard or my expectation because a lot of people don't hit their goals. Yeah. And I think everybody is going to always fall or be at their level of their standards or their expectations, their needs, yeah. whether it's in a relationship, whether it's their income, whether it's their health. I mean, we could go up to any guy and say, do you want a six pack? What is every single person going to say? Yeah. Yeah. Now all those people we ask, if we ask a hundred people, yeah. how many of those are actually going to do something about it or are doing something about it? Yeah. And it's because they're at the level of their standards. Right. Yeah. And so you, to me, it's all about, you have to change what your standards are in your life. If you want to get what you want, Yeah. because the new year's goals, the wants, the whatever you may or may not hit those. And I, I truly believe, and I'm kind of changing this older I get, that the people that are hitting their goals, I don't know if they're their wants. I think it's just they raise their standard with what they're accepting in their life, you know? Exactly. I, I remember the first time I bought a nice car. Like nice cars and like it was brand new off the lot. Yeah. I drove that thing home and oh my gosh, I went from driving a... Toyota Corolla. So at, at one point for one of my businesses, <laughs> I sold my car, traded in for a $500 Toyota Corolla with like 300,000 miles, didn't have a door handle, like nothing worked on it. Yeah. It would not go above 40 miles an hour. No way. My wife was thinking I was absolutely crazy and probably rethinking some of the decisions that she had made. But <laughs> I, I traded that in for a brand new Dodge Challenger. Whoa. And I remember the day I drove that thing off the lot, I was just absolutely floored with, one, this is amazing. You went from one extreme to the other. I did. Yeah. Yet what it did is it set the standard of, man, I will never be okay with driving anything less than this now. Yeah. Right? And it doesn't have to be that extreme, but I think that once you experience something that is a very high standard and you want to stay at that level... Yeah. Really take the time and be deliberate in setting that as your standard. You know, that was one of the things that helped me the most is making that a daily practice of, okay, what, what do I want next? For sure. And I think sometimes people view that as like, oh, well, that's just, you know, egotistical, materialistic driven progression or whatever. Yeah. And I think at the same time is as you elevate your standards, what is that going to do by default to the people who are close to you? hundred percent. The tide raises all ships. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, somebody asked me a really good question the other day. We were talking about standards versus goals, and they said, how do you raise your standards? Mm-hmm. And I think that is an awesome question. And yeah. again, like loan time, driving down the road, I'm just pondering that. It's an awesome question. One of the things you said is so key. I think the first step is just hit a higher standard. Yeah. Because we know in psychology, people don't like to go backwards. Exactly. So if you want to get more, just focus on achieving that next level. And then that's probably your new floor. Yeah. Well, that could be in relationships, money, health, whatever. But for me, that's been a powerful thing is just raise your floor. Yeah. Well, I see that in a few different areas, even in my life right now, is I teach our sales reps, like, shoot for your first six figures. Because I guarantee once you are making six figures, you are not going to go back from that. 100%. You are going to adjust, and that's going to become your new baseline. Yeah. And then as well is I do that in the in the time I spend with my spouse. Like, I don't have a lot of extracurricular hobbies or activities. I'm not golfing for hours a week. I'm yeah. hanging out with my wife. And yeah. that is something that I've become very accustomed to. And so anything that infringes on that family time mm-hmm. automatically just isn't even up to my level of consciousness, right? I, I, I have that standard that I've set, and now everything that I pursue always will fit within that. And it's a really good standard to have, but you do have to set it first and experience it and hit it. Another just kind of mindset, frame of mind thing is I don't ever think about things in terms of money. It's always in terms mm-hmm. of time. Yeah, Like when you say golf, it's like, dude, so I much time. Four hours. <laughs> yep. Like, exactly. Four hours I just lost in that day. What could I do with four hours? Yeah. And I love golf. It's so fun. I've just never been able to commit to it from the time perspective. Yeah. Because it's like you're already balancing investing and business and then yeah. family. And it's like, that's a huge thing to throw into that mix. Which I think is interesting that you see it from that perspective. One of the things I've noticed about people who are very successful and very deliberate with their lives is they're very conscious of how much time they're spending doing things or how much time things require from them. I think time management is huge because some people will happily waste away or maybe to them it's not wasting, but they they will happily spend hours and hours and hours, whether that's on semi-important tasks or just kind of doing really nothing at all. Yeah. But understanding time in my opinion, if you can value time and how you spend it, that communicates so much to yourself. Like my time is important. When I do something, I get important results from it. Mm-hmm. So when you do work to do things, I bet things happen, things move, and you see the results from that. Are you more willing to give your money or your time? My money. <laughs> <laughs> Every time. A thousand percent, right? Unless it's my family, then I would then no amount of money could buy the time yeah. that I could give them. I agree. That's so cool. And Nikita, thanks for coming on today, man. It's been so cool to hear just everything about you, your mindset, your investments. They're so awesome. I'm personally invested in the crypto fund, so really stoked about that. But yeah, thanks for coming on. Thank you, my friend. It's been a pleasure being here.